This is a podcast from Cambridge Assessment. For more downloads, visit cambridgeassessment.org.uk. OK, I'm very pleased to be able to welcome and introduce you, John Brenchley. Um, John is a senior manager within OCR's partnership group, um, which is responsible for gathering intelligence on current issues and trends and feeding that information back to OCR and generally um, for maintaining good relations with stakeholders. John joined OCR in 1999, having previously been a teacher, teaching in schools and colleges. Um, He then worked into a role of local authority advisor and inspector and subsequently into the Further Education Development Agency as a director. John leads for OCR across several areas, including skills, work-based learning and work-related learning as well. Uh, You may have noticed that today's session was originally going to be presented by Clara Kenyon, uh, but unfortunately she was unable to make it, so we're particularly grateful to John for stepping into the breach. So thank you very much, John. Thank you. Right, uh, good afternoon, first of all. Second thing is I'm not mic'd, so if at any point my voice becomes inaudible, I expect you to gesture vigorously at the back. Um, and uh, thirdly, thank you for being here. Um, finally, you know, it's a sunny afternoon and you managed to commit yourself to being in here at this time of day. So, well done. Um, particularly those who I know have travelled from at least one of the other sites um, in order to be here. The bizarre thing is that some of you know me and even that didn't deter you from being here <laughs> this afternoon. Um, so, yeah, good to see everybody here. Uh, this session is down for uh, an hour and a half. Um, we can stay till 7 or 8 o'clock if you find it so riveting um, that you really don't want to leave. But my guess is by by 5 o'clock-ish you'll have had enough. And um, the other thing is I was so conscious, even more so when I looked down the list of people who are here, there are people in the room who know more about some of these things than I do. My job is to give the overview um, and to try and string together a whole sequence of um, policy developments and such like. Um, but I am aware that some of you are specialists in particular areas and may well want to put your comments in on on those areas. So what I'll do is I'll start talking in relation to the slides and the handouts that you should have. Uh, If you haven't, there are a few more around the room. And if at any point either I use a bit of our jargon or um, I kind of whistle through something which hasn't actually crossed your view before now, do please interrupt me. Um, And also, I'm quite difficult to interrupt me, so, you know, so make yourself quite vocal when you decide to do so. Okay, so, um, is there anything anybody wants to ask, actually, before I get underway? Or should we go for it? All right, this could be the most intense and stimulating hour and 20 minutes or so you've ever encountered, uh, or not. So here we go, 15 months in from the election, and yes, uh, my colleague, uh, John Plunkett, who did a previous one of these, likes this because as we ran up to the election, end of April last year, he was somewhere wondering if he was going to get on a plane to get back home. Others of you may have been in the same situation. And I think John, um, uh, having provided me with that visual, is treating this as a metaphor for the state we were all in just about that time with um, planning blight, uh, a a government on the wind down and so on. The um, situation then was as follows. We had 
a very centrally driven curriculum. I'm talking, by the way, UK, and in most cases I'm talking England here, so I recognise others of you have a much broader compass of interest. But I'm going to talk almost entirely about England with some overlapping across the UK. So we had a curriculum and qualification driven by the... Um, well, I think it had just about come into being then, the Qualifications and Curriculum Development Agency... We had four 14 to 19 pathways, except that for a time, for a little time, they were called three, but then they were four. Um, those four, uh, for those who weren't alert to that then, were GCSEs. We had the brand spanking new diplomas, singing, all singing, all dancing, answer to everything vocational. We had foundation learning up to uh, level well, including level one, entry level up to level one um, in, in uh, the, the qualification structure parlance, and there was apprenticeships for some teenagers. And the government was determined to try and establish those as the four routes through your teenage years. We had uh, an ambition, some would say it was certain individuals' career trajectory, to get all qualifications onto the qualification and credit framework. Um, we had, what have we got next? We've got, yeah, local authorities, of course, were coordinating all of this because they ran the diploma partnerships. They organised and coordinated diploma partnerships. A lot of government schemes trickled down through them. And uh, the sector skills councils, I'll throw that one in simply because they, they had been around a little while, but they were increasingly, in government views, the answer to ensuring that uh, employment was able to put the right content in qualifications. And so they had and have, to a lesser extent, a role for approving vocational qualifications. We have had in the past some interesting discussions with sector skills councils about whether our qualifications... Sorry, I'm at risk of uh, getting on one of my favourite gripes at the moment, so I'll slip past that one, but we may come back to it later. So here we are. We're still back in April. We've got all this centralised regime. Uh, we've got a centralised qualification development. I mentioned QCDA. Um, we had, uh, oh, an intricate structure of components and hurdles. You, can, you know, you had to have units that built up um, into, through rules of combination into full qualifications uh, and there were limitations in what you could and couldn't do in devising qualifications, which all appeared in catalogues and lists and uh, had to be approved in order to get funded um, and so on and so on. I mentioned the consortia, um, even with local authorities, even down to how you bust youngsters around in order to be able to do a bit of a qualification here, a bit of a qualification there. And also there was quite a complicated structure of, um, at local areas and at regional areas for actually approving of a lot of these arrangements. Um, and I know the question I wanted to ask at this point from those of you who have a memory back to that time, April 2010, whether that sounds like what you think you recall apart from anything else. Or has it all gone? <laughs> all gone in the, in the mist of time. Oh. And then, and then, May the 6th. 
Okay. Um, yeah, what happened in May the 6th? Uh, right, there was an election by, incredibly, a fortnight, by exactly a fortnight after that election, on May the 20th, the coalition government was able to produce its... Actually, that's wrong. It's our programme for government, to be more precise. They were able to produce their programme for government. And that was setting out the general principles of what they were going to do in government, despite the fact they had spent, of course, um, the previous 13 days um, getting organised across the two parties in the coalition and therefore, presumably, negotiating policy content. So that was going some recently and, uh, you know, the visual is intended to show as days went by almost, the policy direction went from this to that uh, previous policies and practices were uh, being shredded uh, and within, a, I believe, a couple of days of the new government taking office, the sign had gone from outside the Department for Children and uh, Schools, Children and Families, no, Children, Schools and Families, DCSF, uh, had gone from outside, the pretty little rainbow had gone and a more austere, uh, in, a, in a different font, sign had gone up saying, Department for Education. Welcome, if you can find a seat. <laughs> um, so, yes, big change, first fortnight of, uh, after the election. And what do we have in there? Well, one thing we had in there is um, general principles for a start, the underpinning principles being the rule of three, fairness, freedom and responsibility, which you could regard as just the kind of stuff that a government puts there. But it's worth bearing those words in mind, fairness, freedom and responsibility, because they are put forward in this document to underpin every policy development that subsequently has taken place. And you can see the intentions in some specific policies that I'll go through in a minute. The second thing is, there isn't a section on education in it. Not a section on education. There's one called schools. And that, I think, is very significant in terms of the perception of the incoming government. Um, education being a bit wishy-washy, really. Uh, certainly children, whatever it was, children, schools and families were flabby uh, stuff. Uh, they want to be much sharper. Education is delivered in schools, so it's about schools. Now, um, that which I think there was some fuss about at the time, um, certainly we in our, in our team believe has underpinned a lot of current policy and therefore, if you missed it, it's actually worth having a look back. Um, it's quite readable. It's not that many pages. There are um, 17 proposals relating to schools and we've just selected this handful, but... You know, there could have, been, could have been others. So first of all, the reform of schools. As I'll show in a minute, one of the first bills that came through was the Academies Bill uh, within a matter of weeks. Uh, so, so the view is there already within the first fortnight of government that the structure of schools must be changed because the existing structure will not deliver the quality of education that's required uh, for young people. There's, there's elements that I'll go through a little further on, more freedom over the curriculum, more choice, not so constrained by pathways, for example. Um, improving teaching, there are some measures in place already about that. Flexibility in the exam systems, that word flexibility. Uh, yes, uh, I think we'll talk qualification stuff in a little while as well. 
there's a simplification of regulation and inspection, and there are changes in league tables. Now, um, my, my geekier policy colleagues are looking at these as they go through and seeing just how what was in, down in that document in fairly general terms is happening in very specific ways at the moment. And that, as I said, all within a fortnight of the election, all that stuff's on the table. Oh, throw that one away and let's move on to the next one. So, first nine months. Uh, I was toying with some metaphor about gestation periods here, but you probably wouldn't have appreciated those. But we've got a new department for education. We've got the Academies Bill. As I say, the whole world of education to be addressed. What comes out first? Something about changing the governance of certain types of school. Um, that's because that is, in initial capitals, uh, one of the big ideas of the uh, Department for Education. And at the same, t well, almost at the same time, the introduction of free schools, which uh, a local co community group can set up. You might like to know that um, one of the Chuckle Brothers is uh, apparently considering setting one up in Yorkshire. So it uh, pr proves it reaches all parts. Um, the free schools free schools process and that is in order that a local community can take control of how a school is governed and what it does. The first trailing of the English Baccalaureate of which you will have seen more and there's a bit more detail about that that I'll come to. The Wolf Review of vocational 14 to 19 vocational education was announced and commissioned in the autumn. Um, there had been a process under the previous government where the Young People's Learning Agency was going to fund all 16 to 19 uh, via local authorities by and large, uh, and there was a very detailed national commissioning framework, the NCF, which explained how it would happen. That lot seemed to go pretty much overnight, and the YPLA took on direct responsibility... YPLA, by the way, is going to change to the Education Funding Agency very soon. It's only been there a year, or 18 months or so. It's now going to change again. Uh, BIS, the uh, uh, business, industry and s business Innovation and Skills. Innovation and Skills. Um, the department that kept its name under Vince Cable has started to issue consultations on... Um, Skills, skills for Sustainable Growth is the title, for those of you who have a particular interest, and also on funding further education. Um, and there's a review of higher education. You know, there's pretty comprehensive coverage here, isn't there? We've got 14 to 19 vocational, we've got further education, we've got higher education. Uh, this is before we come to anything about national curriculum, which, again, you'll know is, is uh, big on the horizon. Uh, there is the importance of teaching, otherwise known as the school's white paper. And that tells you where the Secretary of State is nailing his colours to what mast. Uh, and that is that uh, teaching, the most important thing about schools, other than the governance stuff that he addressed right at the very beginning, the second most important thing he wants to address is the quality of teaching. Okay, the white paper resulting from the skills consultation. And you may be saying, oh, well, these are all about policy initiatives. Why have you thrown in one footling little appointment at the end? I personally think for awarding bodies, the fact that the Ofqual chief executive changed hands at that time 
uh, and also that in a little, uh, you know, a, a few months later on that the chair of uh, Ofqual also changed means that there is a different regime in Ofqual, the regulator for England, than applied uh, up till December last year. Quite a significant difference in, in um, tone and background uh, for the leading individuals involved. So that is going at a hell of a lick. That's why the little graphic is there about you can almost see them ticking off the days and the policies, the sense of momentum about all this, the need to get cracking on all this uh, seems uh, urgent. And the pace is kept up. I uh, was at a seminar where um, Baroness Sharp, who is the uh, Liberal Lords spokesperson for education, was asked by um, somebody standing not too far from this table um, whether uh, the government was actually doing full risk reviews of all its policies and thereby anticipating the damage that might be done if any of them went wrong. And her brilliantly succinct answer was that the Secretary of State was a man in a hurry. So they are. He's off and running and the rest of us are chasing to keep up with him. Okay. Uh, so, right, we've managed to get into the year 2011. What's going on? National Curriculum Review with the expert panel led by um, Tim Oates of uh, Cambridge Assessment, of course, uh, who's already um, put out a number of um, relevant statements on, uh, on possible com- curriculum issues. The EBAC actual announced, that seems to be how we've all abbreviated it now, the English Baccalaureate, has now been announced and the subjects within it are all known. Um, English, maths, two sciences, a humanity and a foreign language, uh, which actually works out as six qualifications. Occasionally it's been touted around in the press as five. Um, So you've got a substantial part of the the, uh, curriculum defined according to a national performance measure. Uh, And again, in front of the Select Committee for Education um, earlier this year, Nick Gibb, who is the minister who's been taking that through its detailed planning, was absolutely clear that the EBAC is not an accountability measure. No school will be held to account for its performance by government or by a regulator or by Ofsted for its performance in relation to EBAC subject. It is not an accountability measure. It is a performance measure. The distinction is apparently crucial because there will be a whole range of performance measures. And I don't know if you recall looping back one or two slides. There's something there about leaked tables and so on. There will be several performance measures. And the view of government for, I think probably from a line of thinking that I'll get to at the end of the session, is that a range of performance measures give gives everyone a full understanding of how a school is delivering its curriculum and what results are coming therefrom. And uh, Nick Gibbs said in front of the select committee, there will be more performance measures. There will be a host of performance measures, principally to inform, in his view, uh, uh, parents and local communities about how a school approaches its task. So, um, yes, Ofsted consultation on regulation. The tone has changed a little bit from the previous regime here and um, that was about how Ofsted should discharge its responsibility, yes, to regulate qualifications and that was already in hand but also a rather ominous 
second responsibility, which is market regulation, to be able to look at the market for qualifications and work out whether it's operating fairly and in the interest of all parties. And if it needs to intervene, it has the powers to do so. Did I, what have I said? Ofsted. That should say Ofqual. Thank you for the correction. How significant that was, yeah. Ofqual. Beg your pardon with that. That's obviously an editing fault by me, probably. Yes, please. You can, and I'm actually now kind of checklisting through the items to think which do. And the reason I'm having to do that is very little of it does. Um, it is possible for independence to apply to be academies and therefore to fall within the jurisdiction of academies. Um, it's, are there any of these others? They already had the freedom to select the qualifications they chose. They did not have to comply with national lists of qualifications in order to receive public funding. Yeah, I I'm, I'm racking my brains. If any others occur to me, thank you for that question as well, because it, it figures a bit later on. OK, we've got Wolf, and thank you also for the correction on that. That Ofsted is quite plainly wrong. It's off qual. Um, the uh, Wolf report was published, was really quite um, challenging about a lot of vocational qualifications, but it did have a double message. It said vocational, vocational education is terrific when it leads to results, when it takes people on to further study or when it leads them into, uh, uh, through a worthwhile qualification, leads them into work. Uh, but it's very critical of a range of qualifications which are said to be vocational that don't um, achieve that. So, for example, one or two of OCRs are somewhere caught somewhere in the middle, not specified, so we're making sure that they don't fall into the camp that she didn't like. Very swift response from government, really, given that it was very complex, and that government response, within a matter of a few weeks, has a time frame for the delivery of virtually all of the, object uh, all of the recommendations. There are a few that aren't included, which tend to be the ones where Wolf simply spared the said the government should spend money on this, that and the other. Um, so the money-spending ones aren't, aren't there, but a lot of the organisational ones are. Now, again, you may be saying, why on earth are you mentioning a radio programme? Um, the reason for that is there's, there's a very different approach from the perhaps rather bureaucratic way in which the previous administration worked. When you are a man in a hurry like that... You know, if you've decided a policy is coming in, you put it out as soon as you can, even if your first opportunity is the Andrew Marr show on radio. Um, and so we've found... I was talking to somebody before, before the session that what we've found is there's a ceaseless flow of policy initiatives coming in. Uh, I know colleagues... I know there's at least one colleague here from uh, Cambridge Assessment Public Affairs who will know that. We have uh, policy coming in, coming in, coming in. You never quite know where the next one's coming from, which is splendid from the point of view of um, being able to be responsive and re reactive and so on, uh, but a, a little bit, uh, bit nerve-wracking. That's another one. Lin bilinear GCSEs, it means all these... Um, all these schemes where uh, you build up a GCSE out of 
uh, chunks. Again, I know there are people in the room who know about all this far better than I do, but uh, instead of building it up in, in modularized and teacher-based um, permutations of units and so on, you, you actually do it as, uh, uh, as, as an exam which in one go and... Uh, we'll get into the details of that maybe later on because that was a really crummy definition of uh, linear, but uh, those of you who know better will be uh, sneering up your sleeves. HE white paper, that's the consequence of the Brown review and the consultation uh, exercise following. And here's the new off-quad chair. Um, and so you can see within a, within a matter of a few months we've had a... a uh, consultation on regulation and we've had changes in key personnel and a man's still in a hurry uh, yep those pathways I mentioned early on um, they've had the uh, the digger taken to them so the first one that went was the big promotions campaign for the diplomas um, First of all, there was a, there was a set of diplomas um, which were just about to getting under development in areas like science and languages. Mm, a bit tricky, those, because they weren't specifically vocational, so how did they differ from GCSE and all that lot? Those went within days. Um, there was certainly no more of the promotion of uh, the massive, massive campaign to um, encourage take-up of, uh, of diplomas. Uh, I have, have heard it argued as one of the biggest education promotion campaigns for any specific set of qualifications in the Western world. Um, and that stopped almost overnight. So you can see how dramatic the swing round is there. So... We've got the no more promotion of the diplomas, which were kind of vocational, but weren't explicitly vocational, alongside the Wolf Review of uh, vocational 14 to 19. So even then, even late last year, those in, interested in teenagers doing vocational qualifications would have realised some, there's some big change afoot here. Um, there were additional funding arrangements for certain qualifications. That's perhaps a, a digression, right? We've got diploma regulation consultation. I won't linger on all of these. I'm merely listing them to show uh, not only the big headlines, but also individual um, policy developments. Uh, so, so it's working from, you know, that man flat out in a hurry... Uh, on the previous screen to what's being dismantled and what's being revised on this screen. Shall I pause in case, in case you wanted to raise anything and haven't had a chance? No? Okay? Uh, yeah. Uh, Sophie Green, Cambridge Assessment. Um, the diplomas, we did some work on diplomas last year in the research division. I'm just interested to know there's no more promotion of the diplomas. The next four diplomas are not being developed. What's the prognosis for the diplomas at the moment, in your opinion? I mean, the existing diplomas, people signed up to them. I talked to a lot of students who so the, the extent to which they get support and encouragement from their local authority is definitely weaker in many cases. Um, I, like you, 
spoke to a number of um, consortia at the time who were really up and running with, uh, with their diplomas and spoke to a lot of youngsters as well who similarly had said, you know, I've tried other things, never worked. This one, I've, this one just, you know, lights my fire. Um, I think there will continue to be pockets of activity. I don't think there will be growth. I, and in fact, in some areas, I know they've declined. So I suppose... Uh, yeah, the cons- uh, well, funding is no different from what it was in a sense. You know, you're funded per, per pupil, aren't you? Uh, but then you've got to make the financial arrangement in a given locality work, and that's much harder in some areas. Yeah. Yeah, terribly expensive, yes, to run. And, I, you know, if I was to say what do I think is the consensus view, uh, my, I, I think it would be a, a slow, painful death. But I wish it wasn't like that, and I know in a number of areas it isn't like that. Um, so uh, it's it dif- difficult to give the general answer, I think, on that. Uh, any more on the pathways, by the way, while I've paused briefly? How are we doing? Okay, moving on then. So is this Academy's bill, as I say, flagship policy in within a matter of a few days? Definitely, therefore, uh, at least a Conservative, if not a coalition priority. Previously, the schools that had gone over to be uh, academies were um, the failing schools. The first point here was schools which um, were succeeding and therefore had earned for themselves the right to their own governance, if I can put uh, put it in, in the sort of terms that were in government policy. So you've got this, you've, you've got a kind of pincer movement from the, the Labour failing schools becoming academies in order to pull themselves up by the bootstraps and the coalition top schools because they're the ones who've proven they can run themselves. Uh, and also there that it's possible to, yes, it's possible to, even to reopen failing schools as academies, but... As you will appreciate, if you have an, a centralised scheme like that with, with the funding directed f- straight from government rather than from your local authority, then that top slices the local authority bit of the budget. Uh, it also means that there, there is less scope, there are fewer resources to run central support and coordination systems. But what many of them regard as an upside is the opportunity to devise your own curriculum because there are um, constraints which apply, uh, which don't apply to academies. Having, having gained academy status, you are freer to run your own curriculum. But that's not the only type of new school as I mentioned before so you'll have heard about university technology, university technical colleges, I've seen two versions of that actually, now I'm looking at it on the screen Um, they are a scheme developed by uh, Lord Baker who those of you with longer memories will recall was a Secretary of State for Education about three generations ago Um, in conjunction with uh, Ron Deering, who was also a guru of uh, education under previous governments, 14 to 19 school, covering much larger area, 
And there has been intensive lobbying through uh, the Baker Deering Trust and, and other um, vocational uh, lobbying organisations to extend the number of these. So far, they've only managed to get government guarantee to fund 24 uh, by 2014. So there's a lot of talk about them, but we're still dealing with a very small number of establishments, the first of which, the JCB Academy at Roster, which is spelt like Rochester without the H, in Staffordshire, uh, OCR's been involved in from the outset, actually, even before anybody had this idea of UTCs. And um, that started in September last year, has a very vocational curriculum, but also covers all the core, um, all, all the main core subjects, but does not cover the EBAC. So you can already see there's a potentially a contradiction in um, the delivery of government policy. You get a UTC backed by government, which doesn't deliver the EBAC. You get uh, most mainstream schools, which now feel compelled to offer the EBAC. Uh, because they feel they will be adversely judged if they don't. You've got these things called free schools, which are locally developed. The first one famously was being um, put together by Toby Young, who is um, a journalist, um, um, a kind of argent provocateur in, uh, you know, in, in journalistic terms, but in this case, clearly believes that uh, there, is a, there is need for the kind of establishment he's, he's backing and, and there, are, there were 16 in place by last year. Where I've put applications closed in June, that's because there was a first round uh, which all happened and went through. There's a second round which, um, which uh, has, has now been completed. Can't tell you the numbers on those at the moment, but for those who read Stakeholder Briefing, which is one of our, our publications around... Cambridge assessment, um, I think we will have the latest numbers in that. And then there are these things called studio schools, which are uh, also 14 to 19. Um, and they tend to be for um, relatively low numbers of relatively disaffected or disadvantaged young people. So they're kind of specialist establishments with a with a... I guess, a rather scaled-down version of the UTC-type curriculum. So you can see the range in types of establishment. The principle behind this, it's going back to the freedom and fairness thing, is actually saying, you, in your area, you know best what, uh, what's needed in school terms. You organise it, you run it. Um, and it doesn't have to comply with a particular centralised view. Uh, Interesting line of thought, which uh, is very much underpins um, government institutional policy, at least. Right, another pause, I think. Give you, give you another chance if you're building up a, anything you want to raise. Can we just ask... Yeah, sure. Do you have any... Yes, I haven't got it with me, um, but there is, a, in fact, you'll find it, the simplest way is, is actually on the DFE website because they have issued uh, a bulletin not very long ago. We are now talking something in the hundreds approved, but there appears to be a process of business planning. When approved to go forward, you then produce a business plan, which is then vetted, after which you're then on the books and uh, able to be centrally funded. Um, 
and there was a, there was a bulletin. I just don't happen to have the numbers in my head, but um, a matter of you know no no more than a fortnight ago. Right, let's go on to teaching then. I, the school's white paper, the importance of teaching. Um, what did it parade? Well, first of all, the review of the national curriculum I mentioned. This is back to last autumn, if you recall. So we're, we're looking at the working out of some of these policies already. Um, the EBAC, um, the Ofqual. Um, the one thing I should mention there is the highest, uh, match the highest overseas standards. Um, Michael Gover, Secretary of State is arguably more interested in how we stand up against international competitors on, for example, our performance in maths or in English, than um, in whether or not qualifications are being dumbed down or scaled up or going in any other direction over years, over time. His view is, frankly, it's pretty well irrelevant. The thing is, what are youngsters achieving now and uh, how does it equip them and therefore the UK in uh, an international marketplace? So the word overseas just kind of dropped in there, but international comparisons are crucial to the current Secretary of State. Uh, he confirmed the Wolf Review of Vocational Qualifications would happen, <clears throat> and he also confirmed um, there was this thing, the raising of the participation age that was very big under Labour, and there was a discussion about whether or not it was actually going to be compulsory to the point of view where uh, the youngsters who were, you know, those who were out on the streets knocking in um, electrical store windows earlier in the week um, would be the ones who would be taken to court because uh, they didn't show up at school, college, or a workplace learning um, for facility so but they've confirmed yes but the thing is the term has changed the the phrase raising the participation age or whatever you won't hear from this government you might if you're lucky hear uh, the term full participation so there's an expectation that those who are 16 to 18 will carry on and then when when i get on to wolf in a minute uh, there are some expectations about what curriculum they'll cover as well. But bear in mind, this is not raising the school age because it could be in a school, in a college, in an independent training provider, in a workplace with training attached and so on. It was for a while people were talking about it as a second Rosler, for those of you who remember that rather old term. Um, no, it's not. It's, it's full participation. The minister concerned Lord Hill sent a letter around to local authorities from memory the 17th of February this year um, saying how it ought to happen and it basically consisted of uh, you folks go away and make it happen and don't bother me with it and therefore that would be another indication of a lack of centralised direction. See the change. The previous administration would have said exactly how it was going to operate. So it's a very significant change in, in approach. That, by the way, for those of us with UK um, qualifications interests, means potentially an increased market, of course. Well, I'm saying UK, it's England. It's England. I have to keep differentiating. Uh, what else was in that paper? This thing, well, the reform of the performance tables. We have a, a um, league table consultation out at the moment for which um, we and other organisations are drafting responses. Um, but they did trail at the time. There would be um, the English baccalaureate. They did trail an interest in the basics, principally English and maths, of course, uh, and from memory, some mention of science. And it also highlighted... The importance of qualifications taking you somewhere. Um, I don't know whether or not we'd lost, we'd, we as an industry had lost sight of that previously, but uh, you know, whether a qualification 
in its own right, said that you, could, you knew this or could do this um, and were assessed as, as, as uh, being fit in that case. But there is a, an increasing emphasis in the um, coalition government on making sure that, that you can progress from one qualification onto, ideally, um, employment or uh, a further qualification. There's the a reform of the focus of Ofsted inspection. I'll mention that because it's there, but I don't propose to linger. And also something that's been around for as long as you and I can recall, which is every time it looks as if you've got a standard of performance that most um, establishments are achieving, you ramp the level up a little bit. Um, gradual improvement and all that. Okay, so this is all in one white paper, but it shows it very much shows the colour of the coalition's thinking. And then it announced the review of the national curriculum, so replace the current substandard um, curriculum. Uh, that's not wasting words. Uh, consider, consider what subjects would be compulsory at what age. That's again, this is. Pretty um, straightforward stuff, isn't it? The one thing I don't think you would ever accuse uh, the current government documentation of doing is of obscuring what it means through um, verbosity. Uh, I, think it's pre- I think it's pretty clear uh, what they mean and what they want to achieve. So what children should be taught, that's the content. This is um, Tim Oates' little challenge for the current month. Um, and... The outcome to be slimmed down and knowledge-based um, and all that. Uh, the, the last phrase is uh, the what, not the how, context-free. The last phrase there is really saying something that Gover said fairly consistently, which is uh, teachers know best how to deliver their subjects. Uh, we don't need to be telling them. We don't need to be devising you know, great booklets and all the rest of it to tell them what to do. So, a- again, very significant change in approach there. Uh, national curriculum, and so this is the countdown. So you can see that for yourself. You can see. So we've got what uh, just over two years to the teaching of the programs of study. That's what POS means there. If you've not come across that one, programs of study for the phase one subjects, namely uh, English, maths, science, and PE. PE because you know, there's a, it's compulsory, isn't it, um, it within the, the national curriculum. But um, those are the first four subjects. So your phase four, English, math, science and PE. And then your phase two is everything else, uh, including subjects that may be there now and won't be or aren't there now and will be. And uh, you can see the countdown to those. And then those of you who have that kind of mind will be factoring in, factoring in, right, what does this mean for certain qualifications at certain times? Sorry, I might have yeah. Yeah, yeah, dangerous, yeah. On the previous slide where it says, um, place current substandard curriculum, you might have mentioned that so fast that I didn't notice it. <laughs> Is there any indication of what they are planning to replace it with? With, uh, this is a kind of politician's answer almost, with what's on the second slide, really. Uh, By which I mean they're not particularly explicit that this, that and the other in the current national curriculum is wrong, a.k.a. substandard. Uh, What they're saying is, apart from anything else, it weighs a ton, you know, and and it's very prescriptive. And what they're saying... 
that uh, It is theoretically, and I don't think there's a cat in hell's chance of that being the case. <laughs> uh, you know, t- apart from anything else, Tim Oates wouldn't let that be the case, I don't think. I think Tim has a view about, about paring the curriculum down, which is probably why he's doing the job he's doing. And there we go. Right. Um, and Sorry, just to clarify, it's like yeah. to be pared down, but specific, as opposed to you can choose from amongst a set of things what you want yes. to do. Yes, because the minimalist line of thought is there, are certain, there is certain content in each of the subjects. Initially, in, uh, it was the English Math Science PE one. There's the a certain body of content which is compulsory, put, to uh, oversimplify a bit. And we'll put that down, and then you can do other stuff around it. And anyway, some of this, that plus other stuff leads to qualifications from uh, Key Stage 16, uh, from uh, age 16 rather, not Key Stage, Key Stage 4 onwards. There's one over there, yeah? Yeah, just wanted to clarify your understanding of the timelines there. It says that in September 12, the programme of study will be made available in schools. Yeah. compulsory from 13. What's your perspective as a, an awarding body? Like I'm, I'm from Cambridge yep. Press, so we obviously have to add another chunk of time yep. to produce books for people to print. Um, and I was wondering what your perspective was here on what's being available in 12. Is that just the government stuff? Is that your stuff? Uh, what that will be is, is the content. Uh, at some point in that process, in the first third of, t- of uh, 2012, that will have to be the statement of th- the general statement of content, but it will then have to be developed into full programs of study over the summer. From the look of it, there's another one for you know some of our experts to do uh, when when we're in a blistering hot summer. Um, and then, if those programs of study are made available for the first four subjects I mentioned, then and they're being taught the following year. Basically, that gives a 12-month period, doesn't it, yeah, to produce based on the detailed spec. So you're assuming that the, the boards would have programs full syllabus for September 12, and they wouldn't become compulsory until 13? Yes. I, yes. If, I, if I'm getting your question right, yes, yeah. is my Actually, answer. Because if government wasn't saying it was September 12, that they add another to time for you to do your jobs at September 12. Yeah, and, and those, of you, those of you who are professional sceptics will think, early 12, phase one recommendations, what are they going to be? You know, is it going to be, you know, that whole thing about, um, you know, do, do you teach just the 20th century or do you, you know, all that, I don't know, in history or whatever. Um, how, how detailed will those recommendations be? And therefore, what will change between uh, the recommendations and the issuing of the programme of study, miraculously in what looks like about six months, uh, which will spell out in detail the compulsory content for all across, presumably, the four key stages. Um, and now that is a ma- if you think about it, is a major body of work for six months. Unless it's quite minimal, in which case, then we have to do the work to extrapolate from a, a minimalist programme of study what there is that will be accessible at GCSE. So as well as it looking very likely that we will have to kind of redevelop um, specifications, qualifications all the way through the process. Uh, national curriculum, we'll have to start thinking about how it maps onto qualifications. Yeah. 
Well, as, as an ex-English teacher, and I know there are ones who others in the room, um, I wouldn't panic on that, frankly. You know, there's only so much you can do in English. I, I'm, historians are in the second phase, so you've got a year longer. Well, what I mean by that is, for goodness sake, it's spag, isn't it, if you're familiar with that term. It's spelling, punctuation and grammar and all. Books, difficult. Books are very difficult. Um, is there suddenly going to be a swing for or against Shakespeare, you know, all that kind of stuff? I'm talking about one of the very few areas that I even vaguely know anything about here. Um, others of you will be filling in according to your own subject expertise. Uh, but that first lot, English, Math, Science and PE, uh, I think those of you who are working in science will need to keep your eye on every single development here, I suspect, because I can just, apart from the fact that you're dealing with several subjects, not just as it were, one core subject with variations. Um, I, think, I think there will need, there will be some emphasis on what areas of study should be compulsory in science. And as you well know, far better than I, there's all sorts of stuff that could be in there. So I think, that, I think that's an interesting area. I hadn't thought about that till you raised the question, you folks. Yeah. This is making... For me, the autumn of 2012 looked interesting in terms of development of, of materials. Because you haven't got that long, have you, after that, to get them out in front of your teaching public, uh, your, your teaching and support materials. Right, that's an area where, when I was saying it earlier on, I thought I suddenly had a little blip in the back of my head and I thought, is, that is right, isn't it? That is right. Um, I'm not sure any of this is now Google, well, not Googleable, but whatever you use, is now available from the DFE website because they are pretty, pretty clear about their information. So if you want to check on any detail of this, and I won't know it probably, it's worth um, DFE website, National Curriculum Review. Okay. Right. What have I got here? Ah, oh, the English back. Um, yeah, performance measure, not an accountability measure. I've given you, given you that one already. Five subjects, presumably leading to six GCSEs. You'll know already massive lobbying from the religious education community because uh, they don't say you can possibly leave RE out. Um, I'm sure there's other lobbying from other communities going on. Um, I do know, I spoke to the 14th and... 19 coordinator in a London borough within days of that announcement he said we've already been called into my daughter's school because they're stopping drama GCSE now and she is being put onto an EBAC subject that she's not doing um, and others of you will have other anecdotes of that sort I mean the, the impact of that was so dramatic it was astonishing um, conversely others including actually the uh, head of the, I think he's called the principal of the JCB University, UTC, um, said, no, we've got perfectly satisfactory curriculum, satisfactory curriculum, thank you, we are not doing any changes in, to reflect the EBAC. So you've got a range of responses to that, and I guess it depends, there, there is a vulgar term for this, but I guess it depends how brave you are. Um, so, but anyway, only one performance measure. Not that important, really. Uh, uh, yeah, in that case, um, the history geography is another one, of course, for those of you who are interested. History or. History or. Who, who are the casualties? 
What did I put this on here for? Oh, just to show, um, that's really for those of you who are interested in the detail. I think it's just about readable on your screen. It's also, um, it's basically the kind of performance data that is driving government action. And what they're seeing is the number of youngsters who are getting the whole of those five subjects, A-star subjects, not let alone six qualifications, um, the number of youngsters was way too low and what they're looking for is a far better EBAC level of performance across them all. So um, that, kind, that kind of data very much, drives the, um, very much drives the government's thinking. EBAC, I don't know whether you want a reaction on that one, even if only to you know, vent steam. I think the word controversial was invented for the e-back. Okay. Next up, what have we got next? Skills for sustainable growth. Yes, you'll have gathered from the intro that I tend to spend more of my time on the skills and employability area uh, within OCR than I do about areas like GCSE. But um, that's, that's in an interesting situation for two reasons. One is it falls within biz, which, of course, is a department headed by a Lib Dem. Um, and therefore, there's always, it's always interesting to see how, how the range of functions within that department embodies the principles that I was talking about right at the very beginning. Second thing is, it covers stuff about, of course, about enterprise and business, because that business is its first word. But the skills is the third world, word, not world. It also includes higher education. So... HE falls within uh, biz. The, and that's a Conservative minister. And the Minister for Skills, also further education and apprenticeships and lifelong learning, is John Hayes, who works across two departments. Uh, he is accountable, therefore, to um, Vince Cable within biz and to Gove within, within DFE. One of the points to be made at some stage in all this is you could hardly have two departments that operate with more different principles and mindsets than DFE and BIS. Uh, DFE is firmly about schools. It's about schools doing their job and delivering what they do. BIS is far wider, as it's bound to be, because of the scope of its uh, remit. But John Hayes has been working heroically to cover the two. Anything you see with skills on it, he will have steered through government. Um, apprenticeships, pretty much all his skills eggs are in the apprenticeships basket. Um, he's curtailed other schemes like Train to Gain, you may have heard of. Um, and there is a specification for what is delivered within an apprenticeship. And if you're doing that, um, then subject to all the usual rules, you're in with the chance of, um, of uh, securing government funding for that. Still pushing literacy and numeracy, um, still pushing localised decision-making. That's, that's very much you know, the freedom and fairness thing I was talking about earlier on and responsibility. Um, there's a whole area here, you may have caught up with the education maintenance allowance debate um, the withdrawal of a particular funding stream for supporting post-statutory students through their studies. Um, it's, it's gone into a system of loans and bursaries, um, which 
it depends on your take, you know, whether, whether or not you regard that as, as doing at least the same job or even a better job. Um, the skills funding agency is looking for a simplified funding system. Um, but QCF is still afloat, though not quite as mandatory as it used to be. So that's, uh, that is a very concise summary of a heck of a lot of skills policy over the last 15 months or whatever. Okay, so, um, so last autumn Gove cried wolf and uh, she duly howled uh, and uh, she said, oh, I hope you're not flagging. It's, you know, you've done well, you're two-thirds of the way there, right, um, at least. And uh, she didn't like second-rate vocational qualifications, not to put too fine a point on it, and she said so. I, I, I wish I'd thought to bring some of the phrases, because she has a very crisp turn of phrase, does this lady, and uh, uh, you know when she doesn't like something. Um, but what she do, does like is broad subject-based study with English and maths, right? English and maths, for her, are crucial, 14 to 16 and 16 to 18. So if you remember my reference to full participation, that is to include English and maths. Wherever you're doing it, you need, if you have not managed to achieve your grades A, star to C, GCSE, you must include English and maths. If you have, you stand a chance of getting away with it, but um, up till then. And of course, we've already started having the discussion, you don't mean you're going to recycle some disaffected youngster for the third and fourth time through GCSE maths? No, we are having the discussions at the moment, which are, actually, there are other qualifications as well as GCSE, that will probably do what you want rather better and stand a better chance of success. Okay, so it doesn't mean it has to be GCSE, but anyway, GCSE and MASC, two crucial key indicators, uh, key stage four, and I think those two quotes stand up for themselves. And uh, we were particularly pleased by the second of those because we've been saying for a while, if government would just get its interfering hands off the qualification system and let people who know what users want... Um, that's to say, us in conjunction with a number of other organisations, including the you know, learning uh, schools, other learning providers, colleges, employers, higher education, etc., etc., if you would just let, let us get on and devise the qualifications, we'll build you a beautiful model. As it is, you keep trying to force us to do these imme immensely complicated things, like devise the diploma which nobody in their right mind would have devised from scratch unless they developed this ludicrous infrastructure, however necessary all that content and all that potential was. But the actual devising of that um, immensely complicated scheme, only a government could conceive and only it could take so far down the system without ever discussing the cost of the thing. So... This is taking a very different view, and Wolf is saying the same, pretty much the same thing, actually. We don't... We, not we, she's advising the government. They don't need to be in there doing all this stuff, screwing up qualification after, quali after qualification. I will say OCR has been quite forthcoming and so has, uh, so has Cambridge Assessment over the last two or three years on that theme. Uh, right, I think we're getting now to the end of... Uh, well, let, let's, take, let's take the rest of Wolf and then we'll get to... Let's take the, you do talk rubbish, don't you, sometimes? Let's get to the end of Wolf. That will be some tail. That, yeah. um, headline issues. Right. Firstly, one thing we're in discussion at the moment, there is a consultation out there on what she calls coherent programmes of study. They're not going to fund, continue to... They, the government, because... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm 
squashing together both Wolf's proposals and the government response, but everything I say to you is stuff the government is agreeing and doing. So uh, coherent programmes of study, they're not going to f- just fund by individual qualifications post-16. They're going to fund by somebody is on a programme, it complies with some definition or other. There are half a dozen bullet points that, um, uh, in, in the Wolf Report which um, define a, a coherent programme of study. They're out for consultation and it'll be the programme that's funded, not the it'll little itty-bitty qualifications. The advantage of that, you can see, for the localisation of curriculum is, thank goodness, we don't have to squash in bits of qualifications simply in order to get a viable level of unit funding for our 16, 17-year-old. We, uh, we can put them on a programme which we know meets the uh, government requirements for funding. So you've got that. You've got the English and maths I talked about before. Um, I've kind of talked about 14 to 16 and 16 to 19. There are two policies. Wolf reported to Gove. Um, so, you know, two different policy splits. Also, two different funding agencies, Young People's Learning Agency, uh, Skills Funding Agency. And uh, there are different views about, for example, no work experience. Pre- or, no, work experience does not have to be compulsory pre-16 once the, once the uh, statutory decision's changed. But there is every likelihood it will become the norm post-16, for example. The shift in work experience, for example, from pre-16 to post-16 on the basis that youngsters under 16 don't really learn that much when they're in the workplace, says Wolf. So, um, you know, different policies there. But I mentioned about progression earlier on and perverse incentives. Um, Those of you of a whimsical cast of mind can uh, have a look through a number of these policies and just work out what the perverse incentives are. Yeah. What you just said there, yep. This is exactly diametrically opposite to the policy that's been developed in Australia. Right. Tell me. And they are now saying, particularly uh, pupils who are disaffected in terms of um, academic qualifications yep. can go into a structured employment environment from 14. It's well structured, true. But the benefits uh, through their um, vocational um, centre of yeah. vocational research has shown that it is actually an effective and um, uh, attractive uh, route for Yeah, that's fascinating. It's not even consistent with uh, the UTC approach, which is where else are you going to learn a good practical education, but in, you know, with some workplace element. So, um, so this is what we've proposed. I think, looking at it, I think um, government accepted all of that. Yes, 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 yes. Ah, no, the one thing it it didn't accept was an 80-20 rule, um, by which I mean Wolf said that 80% of the curriculum should be given over to the sort of e-backy type core academic and 20 should be the limit for vocational. Interestingly, the government didn't accept that. And I think that's because they actually didn't want to get into a discussion about what is 20% of what. Because uh, you've then got to define vocational, you've then got to define what's a whole curriculum. K- uh, Ken Baker, Baker, for example, is, is, is very keen to keep explaining that the UTC working day and working year are far longer. So t- 20% of the UCC is about a third as much again as 20% in, um, uh, in a conventional maintained school, and so on and so on. But uh, the rest of this is... Pretty well straightforward, I think, unless you want to query me on anything.
And then it all comes down to funding. Because whatever the vision, who's funding what. Um, this is, <laughs> I think these are kind of statement of the be obvious, some of them. But anyway, um, recession, national cutbacks, right? Point one. Um, there is uh, demography watchers find interesting trends in growth and decline in school numbers and even by locality. Um, and uh, we are in a time of declining roles at precisely the time when it's helpful to the government not to have to fund so many in particular age groups. Um, uh, but then, of course, that affects our market if we have a substantially teenage market. So um, that's the kind of thing that, uh, uh, that the business forecasters and so on analyse quite carefully. Um, the, the awarding bodies are trying... Uh, not the awarding bodies, the funding bodies, rather, are trying to make the system a lot simpler, but that's always easier said than done. I mentioned the loans earlier. I mentioned EMAs earlier as well. So there's a hope that less money will have to go to certain categories of student, uh, but that instead some loans and bursaries will be available to those who meet certain criteria. Uh, there's also, I mean, just as an interesting sideline, the Skills Funding Agency in particular has, has introduced a... Uh, minimum contract level for its contract, whereas it would fund all sorts of stuff in all sorts of organisations. It's now specified that it won't fund a contract below a quarter of a million and uh, there are expectations that that will rise substantially in the very near future, could rise to something like a million pounds. And the reason for that is to save them the contract management job of having to manage all, all sorts of what I call itty-bitty um, contracts in little local providers with the quality assurance demands that that entails and so on and so on. Um, and I think that just shows we're dealing with Less total money in fewer packages being parcelled out. About time I mentioned qualifications a bit more, isn't it? Uh, this stuff is already happening. So, for example, I can't even remember where it came from, but the notion that um, awarding bodies should involve higher education more in the devising of the curriculum. Well, we did, once we'd got the old QCDA specification, we had some you know, friends in higher ed education. That's been boosted substantially, so we now have a set of forums within OCR uh, across a range of something like seven or eight subjects, as well as a broader strategic forum, in which people from currently in higher education are advising us on the development of our qualifications. And we're doing that because um, it's darn good expertise, apart from anything else, and also because for A-levels... We need to know that what we're devising, of course, meets their expectations of, um, of a youngster with a particular grade applying to join them in a particular course. Um, you know, we'd be daft not to, wouldn't we, frankly? So we have gone ahead with that, in, uh, you know, in big time. Uh, I also know that um, the other parts of Cambridge assessment involve higher education very much so, not just in terms of marketing, but also in terms of liaison over development. So that ain't just an OCR um, prerogative, uh, why the curriculum offer? Occasionally, they're uh, having having spent years with centralised direction about what qualifications should look like. We occasionally get this unnerving sense that we may have freedom, but we're not we're not quite sure whether we trust it. So, 
uh, we have found ourselves within OCR having discussions with all sorts of people about possible cur um, curriculum and qualification developments for no better reason than there appears to be a, a clientele for them, there appear to be young people or sometimes adults, for whom there, there is a demand for particular types of qualification uh, and there might be a pathway by which we could develop it and we could get it approved through Ofqual under the new arrangements. And there's something about that which just feels like those of us who've been around for a while have not ever had that kind of freedom. Um, it's back to the, I think it's freedom and fairness and responsibility, wasn't it? Um, in, in the programme for government slide. Um, I mentioned the linear uh, exams. Uh, I think there's no doubt there's that move <clears throat> going on at the moment. My qualifications colleagues, and some of you in the room indeed, may know what's happening in those areas. Um, to, to change our GCSEs to more linear forms of assessment from 2012. Um, SPAG, if you've not met that, spelling, punctuation and grammar, because uh, it ain't done right now, and that means across subjects there has to be an element of SPAG marking, um, even if your subject is not particularly about um, the drafting of English in, in any particular way. So, so that's increased. That is very much... Well, I suspect it's a a Nick Gibb-ism as much as it's a Gove-ism, but it doesn't matter particularly. Uh, and drive down the amount and cost of assessment. Actually, I, when did I join OCR? Probably about 10, 10 11 years ago, and uh, I'm sure that was around then. So, But, of course, you know, tighter money and all that. Yep, don't think, don't think there's anything else I need to comment on there. We're counting down now, and the last two are just pictures, you'll be glad to know. So, uh, right... And then for vocational qualifications, these are criteria for new vocational qualifications. Um, I think I mentioned that Wolf gave some of them a bit of a panning. Um, didn't mention us, did mention rather disparagingly one from a competitor organisation, which I actually think is not that bad. Um, but for some reason, she got the knife into it. Uh, I don't mean BTEC Nationals, by the way, which you'll know probably the biggest in the field for teenagers. Um, so um, this is what she says any qualification for, for 14 to 19-year-olds vocationally should, uh, should entail in order to be approved um, and in order to have public funding. Um, and are they, are they self-explanatory? I think they probably are. Yeah, appropriate size. Appropriate is one of those words we, I don't think we'd ever use, would we, in a qualification, you know, because it's so subjective. Um, but it's there in... It, Wolf's got it anyway. Yeah, because she didn't like bits and pieces of qualifications that you could pick up in no time and... Um, the, the kind of discussions that preceded the publication of the report said, do you realise you can get, um, I don't know, um, a, a qualification in uh, wheelbarrowing uh, in six hours uh, at level two? You know, that, they were that kind of um, daft idea. So she does want something that's got a bit of ballast in it. So, actually, I suppose if you ignored the rest, this is probably the most important slide. So well, I thought I'd put it there just in case anybody was still awake at this stage of the uh, session. <coughs> yeah, I said DFE, biz, complete split. Uh, d uh, biz, 
I've had this from officials in both of the two departments. Biz is closer to the Department of Work and Pensions than it is to the DfE. And so, for example, when they have the whatever the Job Centre Plus programme is called, Welfare to Work programme, which just slipped my mind, there's, there's a, a new... Ver- the work programme, isn't it? Um, that's so similar to some of the Biz programmes, uh, but completely unlike uh, what goes on in, in DfE. Quangos, remember the phrase, the bonfire of the quangos from last summer, about this time last summer people were using that phrase, weren't there, and 84 quangos had gone already and that kind of thing, and you will have noticed a few like Bechter that have gone, um, some, had their, some had their demise prematurely reported and were a little surprised to find that, you know, having just had their business plan approved, uh, they read somewhere that they'd been axed, um, it was a lot more subtle than that of course, where a lot more changes went on. Um, but I think all that lot happened very early and has, has now been and gone. And a new Ofqual, they ran that consultation, which I mentioned, on regulation. They then produced... Um, I don't think I've got notes of the number of criteria. No, I haven't, but uh, they then produced a statement of uh, the way in which they would regulate. And from having proposed something like 16 points, they discovered that there was something like 73 that they uh, actually needed to apply in terms of regulating us. Um, what I would say is you, you tend to treat these things with a, with a fairly stoical outlook because actually, I'm glad to say, um, OCR in particular, when it's being regulated, reckons that anything Ofqual can come up with, we would have done anyway and we've usually foreseen it because, you know, to be quite honest... I think you, and as well as I, will know well that unless you're happy with the quality procedures, you're going to be the one who's calling out, not an, off st- uh, an off-qual officer. So, um, but anyway, we have a new, uh, very demanding off-qual, and we've still, as I said earlier, we've still got this rather unnerving prospect of the market regulation and intervention. And does off-qual really know what it's doing then? It's, um, that's quite a, a difficult one. You've got those subjects, the EBAC subjects and the English maths, even in vocational programmes. You've got the new types of school I mentioned. The the fragmentation is a word I've heard used a lot. Fragmentation of the school system. You can have four four different types of school in one town, two of which have got an age 14 start point. So that means you've got, you know, you can't have a 14 to 19 school, except in Leicestershire, of course, uh, or or one or two other places, uh, unless you've got an 11 to 13 school. what, what are you talking about there? Are you talking, you know, is that two years, three years? Um, when's the break point? Uh, how do you make any selection? All that kind of thing. So you've got potentially very diverse um, school structures in a given locality. You've obviously got what I've called market diversity and localised delivery. You can't assume there's... Uh, people have told me there is not an education system. There is simply a structure of localised delivery. Uh, you've got, Gib, there will be more performance measures... Changes and lead-in times. goes back to your question about, the, uh, about devising publications, doesn't it? Um, again, it, it's not a, a complete waste of time to sit down working through all these. OCR, by the way, f- partnerships within OCR has produced what we call the big timetable, which is a detailed list of all these changes and when they kick in. And it does no harm to have a look at them and just work out the, the lead-in times to anything you think might affect your bit of work uh, within the OCR world. I keep having to say that. 
And also, I've added this since the last time this slide was used. Um, nudge theory. Have you caught up with that yet? The, uh, right, government nudge theory. It's by, um, it appears in a series of books by, particularly a, a book and some other publications, by this Richard Thaler. And there's a, a rather under-accredited co-author called Cass Sunstein I've mentioned there. You may like to know, it is one of, that. there's a book called Nudge, I think that's, that's its entire title, Nudge. It's one of the 37 books on the list that David Cameron gave to all Conservative MPs when they uh, broke for the parliamentary recess this summer. Uh, and it's almost certainly the most important. And the, the Nudge theory, the basic theory is, you don't, as would have been the case, I guess, with the last government, you don't change... You don't change people's thinking by specifying what they have to do, by, uh, by being directive. What you do is you, um, you make them... No, make them is the wrong word. You uh, cause behaviour to change by doing things in certain ways. And an example that usually gets quoted first is... Um, in terms of pensions, just simply having a system where instead of asking for somebody to opt into a particular pension scheme, you make them responsible for opting out. So the, the status quo, not panicking on this, are you? Uh, the sta- status quo is there's a, there's a pension scheme and you're in it unless you've opted out. Um, there is something else about what you declare on the census, I seem to remember, that's been quoted there. If you put, for example, if you put um, the opportunity to be party to something at the beginning rather than at the end, you're more likely to get a yes response. This, for those of you who really like uh, policy wonks, is um, one of the lines being peddled by an advisor to government called Steve Hilton, um, who, is a, who is an individual personality, uh, and whose thinking is doubtless affecting government decision-making. So instead of... Uh, I'm neither advocating, by the way, or maligning this, I'm merely describing it as, as, as a principle which is very different in the present coalition government from what applied in the previous government. When, if you recall, we had a big dark cloud hanging over us, and uh, we didn't know where, where we were going to get home. Uh, but now... We have a clear blue sky, probably with a few yellow fringes, um, which are causing the picture to be clearer than we could ever have thought possible 15 months ago. I say thank you very much. It's been an exhausting rush through that. I feel thoroughly exhausted, but it's a very clear presentation and we really appreciate that. Thank you very much. This is a podcast from Cambridge Assessment. For more downloads, visit cambridgeassessment.org.uk.